How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What, what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. Yep, this is it. This is pretty much it. What's up? I'm ready to go. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. A full two hours that I've got for you tonight. Reaction to Miles Garrett. That's the biggest story, obviously, in sports today. What is it the biggest sports story in Campy of the Year? But the outrage and just the the domination and the news cycle that the Miles Garrett thing has had is pretty unique this year. Not many things, if anything, that I can think of off the top of my head have provided this kind of outrage. Every single place you listen or watch or anything that is sports-related, you're hearing Miles Garrett. That's the first thing. All the ESPN shows, the first thing. Uh, any ESPN radio show, first thing. Our show, first thing. One Bills Live, first thing. Howard and Jeremy, first thing. All of it. Hell, we got the, we got the news channels out in here in the lobby, uh, just outside the studio here, and there, there they are. There, there's the clip. I'm watching it right now on one of the news uh, stations. Is um, there's the clip of Miles Garrett swinging a helmet and hitting Mason Rudolph in the head, which I think it's being. It's not. It's being under talked about on how dangerous that legitimately is. I saw a video um, circulating on social media yesterday where somebody took a helmet and slammed it as hard as they could, just like a normal guy, you know, not a football player, not a what is Miles Garrett six three, two hundred and eighty pounds. I might be way off there on the uh, the size. I might be exactly right. I don't know. But this just normal dude grabs a helmet. And 6'4", 271. That was pretty close. Swings the helmet down on just like a wooden chair. As hard as he can. Splits the chair in half. This, if, in case, not everybody maybe out there has felt like a, how heavy and how durable and, and hard a real football helmet is. But it's like swinging, it's almost like swinging a mallet. Like it is hard. You saw it in that video. This normal dude. It's on social media. I retweeted it. It's at SneakyJoeWGR. Breaks this chair in half. And Miles Garrett comes down on the top of Mason Rudolph's head. A guy who, by the way, was out cold playing football about three weeks ago. Three, four weeks ago. Out cold. He really is lucky that he didn't kill him. Honestly. 
because a helmet is man that that in that moment when you're using that like a weapon that is in- extremely dangerous when a guy does not have any protection we actually see it in the NFL a lot just earlier in that game Deontay Johnson Steelers wide receiver gets hit in the head who by the way his ears were bleeding like that was violent he gets stretchered off and you see it there, and you see head hits all the time. Was it Jamal Williams of the Packers a few weeks ago on a, on a primetime game? He gets knocked out like in the first couple of games, or in the first couple of minutes. When players have helmets on, and they get hit with enough force with someone else's helmet, it's extremely dangerous. Add on top of that, that Rudolph does not have any protection. It's his own helmet being swung at the top of his head. And... I don't know if everybody fully grasps how insanely dangerous that moment really was. He hits him with the bottom of the helmet. And I guess if you want to say that's the soft part of the helmet, you'd be right. But hardly. Maybe he's lucky that the helmet was turned that way and not in the other direction. I think in a way, Miles Garrett's very lucky that did not end up a lot worse. And I was actually really surprised. So, watching it live, which I was, they didn't really show it live. I don't think. Unless maybe I just wasn't paying attention when it did happen live. But the camera angle, I don't think, showed it. Rudolph throws the pass, and then they follow the running back or whoever the player was that had the football. And then, you kind of see the aftermath. You see Pouncey throwing punches. You see him kicking, by the way, Garrett. And my first reaction is, wow, Pouncey, what are you doing, dude? You're going to get suspended. Not knowing at all what had just happened. Then they show that first replay, and it's like, you, you don't even, you can't even, it's hard to grasp that even happened. It's something I've never seen in my lifetime. That is like, I don't know, millennials maybe will get this. The NFL Blitz video game, do you ever play the NFL Blitz video game? Like, that's something that comes straight out of that. Or like the NFL Street video games, like, holy cow. It's a wrestling move. Which is fake, obviously. Um... And just, it's incredible that that happened. An unprecedented unprecedented action like that obviously deserves an unprecedented punishment. And I think, for the most part, everybody's in agreement on that. Like, the Garrett part of this whole story is not even really that interesting. Because, I mean, it's interesting in that it happened, and how dangerous it was, and how unprecedented something like that happening on the football field is. But... I mean, really, is any, if, you, if you don't think he should get the punishment he's getting, then like you're not even worth spending time on. And I'm not sure I've encountered anybody, even on social media, that has felt that way. Now, the rest of it is kind of where people are having disagreements on. Like, should Mason Rudolph be suspended? Should Mason Rudolph be fined? Should this Ogunjobi uh, be suspended? He was. One game. Pouncey. Same thing. All of that's up for debate. I think that the helmet swing just amplifies... Everything. Everything. Mason Rudolph's probably going to get fined. If he doesn't get hit with a helmet, I don't think he gets fined. Because in reality, like, yeah, he did escalate things, but obviously did not deserve anything near what Garrett did to him. But, you know, pulling at another player's helmet while on the ground, like, yeah, you get a 15-yard penalty for that. Maybe you even get ejected, but... I don't even know about that, but he, you're not getting fined for that. Ogan Joby comes in, and yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a punk move. He runs over the quarterback, who by the way doesn't have a helmet on still at that point. 
65 of the of the Browns. Um, maybe he gets fined. He probably gets, you know, at least a 15-yard penalty in the game. But is he getting suspended for that? I don't think so. I think the helmet swing amplifies that too. And Pouncey, to some extent, I think is the same thing. But I'll say this. Marquise Pouncey, nobody should have an issue with what he did last night. At all. In, in fact, I would have taken that into account if I was the NFL. Gave him, gave him one game. He's got to get something because he's kicking a guy in the head. And no matter what that guy has done, you need you have a precedent. You, ha- you can't let that go completely unpunished. But I would have only suspended Pouncey for a game. So I, I, I'm impressed with the, the swiftness of the NFL today with all of this going on, that they came right out and they made a decision and they indefinitely suspend Garrett. Three games for Pouncey, one game for Ogunjobi. You know, even if I disagree that maybe Pouncey should have only got one game, because really, what do you expect in that moment? What What's the point of a punishment? What's the point of a fine? What's the point of a suspension? It's to deter that behavior in the future. You are not doing that. That is just not going to happen. At all. And I would hope that it doesn't deter that, in a way. If I am a football player, if I'm a quarterback, and somebody does anything near what Miles Garrett did to me last night with using that as a weapon or taking a shot at me at all when I don't have a helmet on, offensive linemen are going to do that. And if you're a quarterback, you should want your offensive linemen to do that. In a way, they are paid protectors. They really are. They are paid protectors of the quarterback. And in that moment... That's their job, is to protect the quarterback. So, if and Pouncey said it, he'll accept the punishment, he wouldn't do anything differently. And I'm not sure there's a single offensive lineman in football that would say they would have done that differently. So, at that moment, you still have to give him something, but you're not doing anything to deter any future behavior. So I would guess that's the only thing I have a problem with the NFL doing. Otherwise, very impressed with how swift they acted in all of this, and... They did take it seriously. Finding the teams, everyone involved, everyone that was a main, had main involvement in that, I don't even want to call it a brawl. I guess you could call it a brawl. Um, As far as football goes, that was a brawl. Everyone that was like a main contributor got some sort of punishment. I think we're still waiting to see if Mason Rudolph will get suspended. By the way, there is news on this in the past couple of minutes. Um, There is a report out there that Mason Rudolph will not be uh, seeking any legal um, ramifications against Miles Garrett. So he's not gonna he's not gonna be suing, he's not gonna be filing charges, anything like that. And you know, I guess there's an argument to be made that he could have done that, but you you don't want you want to throw lawyers at this, really. Like I guess that'll that will keep it in the news cycle. And that would keep it interesting. Um, but to me there was never any reason to do that. It's this is not meant to be a defense of Garrett at all, but if that's crim like you can't really consider in a way, it's criminal. But also, in a way, almost everything on the football field is criminal. Right? How many plays in a given football game could you consider, if away from a football stadium, away from a football game, to be an actual crime in real life? These guys are hitting each other for a living. Like They're taking runs at each other. They're, it's physical. It's a physical sport. It's the most physical sport. So... I, you couldn't throw lawyers at it, I don't think. And I'm, I'm glad to see that's not going to happen because that would just make... the This thing's already a mess, and I think that would only do further damage. 
Now, there's a couple other things that are going on with the situation right now that's a little bit recent. There is a... So, Miles Garrett apologizes earlier. What I've read about him is that he's not... He's not... He's not, um... Like like this off the field, you know what I mean? Like he he actually did an interview with ESPN the magazine where he talked about. I think Salem actually referenced this at the beginning of the afternoon show that he is like he was taught brought up to be just an animal on the field, and obviously he went too far in this situation, way too far. But he's like an animal on the field, and yeah, shut it off when you're off the field, and that's the case because there was that story about a month ago where somebody took a swing at Miles Garrett just for nothing in public, and he didn't do anything about it. Because he knew he's in the public eye and you can't do anything about that. So this guy, in watching Hard Knocks last year, from the little that you can really gather about pro athletes and what they are like in real life, from the little you can gather from that, he seems like a very intelligent person. He seems like a smart guy. But obviously, that doesn't excuse what happened last night. Indefinite suspension. You know, the first thing that popped into my head was... For, for whatever reason, half of next year. All of this year and half of next year. It's, a, it's an arbitrary number. I, I don't even know how I got there. It's just kind of what my gut, that's what my instinct said. 14 games total, I think that is. The, the final six games this year, eight games at the beginning of next year. I wonder what they do end up doing with that. There's also some stuff out there that, hey, they can't actually indefinitely suspend him because per the CBA, you can't indefinitely suspend somebody for something for an on-field incident, for an on-field action. This is a very unique situation, though. So there's still some stuff to figure out in that regard. Maybe this is just a buy time until the NFL really figures out how many games they want to suspend him. Banned from football. I think if you're if you're in that on in that boat, I think you're just overreacting. I think you're just being outraged to be outraged. You should be outraged to some extent because this was the most violent act in a sporting event that I can remember. It it really does rival Marty McSorley on Donald Brashear. Todd Bertuzzi on Steve Moore, the malice in the palace. Like, it does rival that. He literally picked up a weapon in that moment. The helmet is a legitimate weapon and hit a guy over the top of the head. And one other very under-talked about part of this story that I want to bring up before I move on to a lot of Bill stuff here in the rest of the show. How the hell did they let Mason Rudolph back on that field? Now, the the Steelers end up kneeling the ball on that final play. There's five seconds to go. It's a fourth down. And, you know, it was actually a little petty, but I kind of liked it. Like, in that moment, Mason Rudolph had every right to be just furious with the situation. And he knees the ball, and he runs into the locker room. I actually like that. I kind of liked the pettiness in that moment. It was deserved. How does a concussion spotter let him on the field? You don't know that they're going to kneel it. Maybe they're going to run a play. Holy cow. Did the concussion spotter fall asleep? The independent neurologist, whoever is supposed to be having a watchful eye over that? Are you kidding me? Did I not see them check him in the two, three minutes, however long it was, between that third down play and the helmet swing and then the fourth down snap? Because think about that. The, the guy must have been asleep at the wheel. Whoever is supposed to pull him off of the field. He literally got hit in the head with his own helmet. And if that, and he did not get pulled off the field. If that doesn't say everything you need to know about the current protocol for the NFL and 
concussion spotters and pulling guys off the field. It's so inconsistent. It's so spotty. And that was a moment last night where I didn't really think of that until I think it was Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, who, by the way, I'm going to have on on Sports Talk Saturday tomorrow. Um, he met, he brought that up, and I thought about that. I'm like, that really is insane, and nobody's going to talk about that part of it because it is, it's like the 10th most interesting storyline maybe of it. But that's such a bad job. It's such a bad job. There, there's never... I can't th- imagine a play that's more obvious to pull or up the play. I shouldn't even call it a play. Really shouldn't. Like that was a bad job by me. It's not a play. It's a violent act. There is not a more violent act you can think of happening on a football field than that. There's never been more reason to pull somebody off the field. No helmet on, got hit with one in the top of the head with some force too. Like Miles Garrett brings that thing around. He's swinging. It's not like, do you see that? There's if you if you don't live on or if you don't uh, go on social media, maybe you didn't see it. But there was um, a, another video being passed around that was a little older when Richie Incognito played for the Dolphins, and someone ripped his helmet off, and they kind of jabbed him in the head with it, like in the face, and that was bad too. But this was not that. This was like this was a hook. This was a right hook. This was a swing. Indefinite suspension. Good job by the NFL. It's probably going to mark Miles Garrett for the rest of his career, which is kind of a shame because, as I said, he does kind of come off, at least to me and to the little you get to know about these athletes, he comes off as a really nice and intelligent guy off the field. But, man, huge mistake. It, it can't. There aren't words to describe how big a mistake it was. Great player, too. Like, that's that's the real shame of it. Former first overall pick, great player, and, I mean, he could absolutely go on to have even a Hall of Fame career. He's got that type of talent. But this will always be remembered by him. It will always be remembered when you bring up the name Miles Garrett. 803 is the phone number. If you've got any thoughts on this, I'm, I'm willing to take calls here. Um... So if you want to do that, get in now because I'm about to get into some Bills stuff. I want to get into Bills and Dolphins for the rest of the show. Thinking about Josh Allen and this game, and I'm nervous. (laughs) I'm I'm nervous. If they lose to Miami, it's going to be scorched earth in here. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm prepared for that. The the feeling, if they drop to 6-4 and with a loss to Miami, how that's going to feel. Like, what What do the calls sound like? What does the conversation sound like if that happens? I, I, you'd have to know how the game goes, but fans, I think, would be out for blood. Talking, I don't know, quarterback change, maybe coaching change, like somebody, you would think. Fans are going to want a head on a spike for a loss to Miami if that ends up happening. So this game is really interesting for me in that regard. There is actually... It, I'm, not, I'm not sure the Bills players would feel this because they'll always tell you they don't feel pressure from the outside. But from the outside, there should, there should be a lot of pressure to win this game. There should be a lot of pressure. 803 is the phone number. Give me a call in the next five minutes. We'll get you on right here in the next segment. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast well i did watch parts of the game i did not watch that part live but uh, i just saw a a part of the replay of it and um, my reaction is there's no place in the game for that Uh, absolutely none we talked about it this morning in the team meeting just to make sure we are on the same page when you take someone's well-being into your own hands that's crossing the line so we like to believe we do things right uh, that we're a class organization and, and it is a physical aggressive sport but there's a line sean mcdermott I mean, I would hope they're on the same page. I would hope when he said that in the meeting, I don't know his exact words, obviously, but if he brought up the fact that, hey, don't hit an opposing player without a helmet on with a helmet. I'd like to hope that 99.999% of football players and really human beings in general know not to do that. Um, But, hey. Guess you got to double check nowadays. Freddie Kitchens didn't do it. The Browns, man, like part of me wants to roll my eyes at all of the the talk on how Freddie Kitchens just has no control over his team. Like part of me wants to roll my eyes at that, but Cleveland like keeps giving you reasons to believe it. This this player that threatened to like shoot fans last week who got cut or Antonio Callaway, who kept showing up late to meetings and kept showing up late to meetings and had been suspended multiple times, kept giving him chances. Go even further back. I know it's not the same regime, but Josh Gordon, how many chances did he get in that organization? How many times did he get suspended? How many times did they hold on and hold on and hold on and hope that it was going to get better? And part of me wants to appreciate when you're willing to take risks like that, but they do it all the time and they it's like they have no I don't want to say they have no moral compass but yeah maybe they are just so undisciplined that that prevents them from being good they have all this talent 
Jarvis Landry, same thing. He almost cost them the game against the Bills. They they he cost them a point because of his taunting penalty after their touchdown against the Bills. What else? Mayfield basically says whatever he wants to do in the media, and I like that. But as a GM, as a team, as an organization, you should not like that. Freddie Kitchens, man, like I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a Cle- maybe it is partially a Cleveland thing. But I have to think it was just a guy making a terrible mistake in a really bad moment. And unfortunately, that probably defines him uh, for at least a really long time. He'll have a lot of making up to do for that. The outrage and like the cancel culture kind of thing that goes on in today's world, sometimes I feel like it can go too far. I think it's going just about the right amount right now with this Miles Garrett thing. Like For the most part, like I don't think... There are some people that maybe want to see him thrown out of football, but for the most part, people don't want to see him banned. The one thing that I didn't like that I think this is like this is an example of things getting taken too far. There's an organization that um, former NFL or former uh, Philadelphia Eagle uh, Chris Long runs. It's called Waterboys.org. It's 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 just basically a non for profit organization, um, and Miles Garrett's involved in it, and. There's been some, like, not a lot, but you've seen some backlash in the fact that they came out and said that they're going to continue to basically partner with Miles Garrett. And, like, in that in that situation, he's, like, think about what he's doing there. He's using his name, money, whatever, to to do good. And you don't have to cancel everything. You don't have to eliminate every part of this guy's life because he made one very bad decision. He'll get punished, and that will be in the right. But you don't have to, like in that situation, for instance. That's where the outrage to me is just misguided and it's just there just to be there. But let me know what you think on this, if you got any thoughts, and then we'll get into some bills as well. 803-0550 is the phone number. Let's go to Pat first. Pat, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, um, so here's just kind of one thing that I really think, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. Okay. The only thing that I could really think to compare this to in some type of sporting event as an assault on someone's personal well-being outside of the compass of the sport itself would be Mike Tyson biting Evander Holyfield's ear. I mean, yeah, hockey has fights, but that's part of the game. And, you know, that was just an assault on his personal well-being. If something worse, if the... I think the idea of not suspending him indefinitely or forever is based on the outcome. If something worse had happened, he got hit in the head with a football helmet. That could have been a lot worse outcome. If he was, if a lot worse outcome had happened, you might be looking at this in a completely different aspect and thinking he deserves more punishment. I, I, I just, you know, I don't know. It's completely outside of the realm of the game and was an assault on someone's personal well-being. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what to do with that because I, wa- I want to agree with you in a way, but I also feel like to some extent the outcome should kind of matter. Like, yeah, I, you know what? I don't even know if I want to say that, but I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. If the outcome was worse, if he knocks out Mason Rudolph with that shot with his helmet, yes, for sure. Maybe he is banned. I don't know. If Mason Rudolph, for instance can't play football anymore. If just like he's such a severe concussion or a neck injury, anything could have happened. Then yeah, maybe. 
but it didn't. So, like, you, you mentioned the, the Tyson thing. Like, Tyson came back. Tyson fought two years later. He never really fought. I mean, he fought Lennox Lewis, so he had one really big fight after he bites Vander Holyfield's uh, uh, ear. But, man, he fought, like, a dozen times after that fight. He fought ten times after that fight. So, and even, like, Todd Bertuzzi. Todd Bertuzzi ended somebody's career. And maybe it should be different because this is, these are different times. Maybe they should be more severe. But, like, that that's the precedent right now. Todd Bertuzzi ended Steve Moore's career. And he had a long career. Like, that happened pretty early on in his NHL career. What did that happen? In 2000? 2002? I don't remember the exact year. It was early 2000s. The guy played till 2014. So, I'm not on board with banning him outright. This punishment should be severe. The most severe punishment we've seen in a really long time. Absolutely. But I'm not on board for banning him outright from the league. Let's go to Kathleen. You're on the nightcap. What's up? Hi. I, I, have, I listened earlier to Murph and um, Steve, and they said that each team got fined $250,000. Yep. Steve, Steve said that that's good because the NFL has to make a statement if you bring these people into your team. Okay, this is my question. If you took the exact same scenario 25 years ago, and I know you can't speak for Steve Tasker, you can't tell me that everybody on that bench wouldn't have done the same, like jumped out and helped him if Jordan Kelly's helmet was taken off and being beaten, and he was getting beaten on. Everybody would have rushed the field. So why, I don't understand why the Steelers were fined. Well, I think the Steelers are fined just because of the situation and because it escalated. And I, yeah, guys leaving the bench. I think that it's so minute anyway. Like I, I, I did hear Steve say that. Um, I didn't necessarily think that it was much of a statement. The, a $250,000 fine to an NFL football team, I think that's peanuts to them. Like, literally peanuts. It might be the cost of p- supplying peanuts for a season to stadiums. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a lot of money to me. So, I don't know what the point of it was. Um, I think it's just a rule that's in place. Maybe it was an automatic fine for guys leaving the bench. I don't even know what what where that the two hundred fifty thousand dollars fine stemmed from. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it because I didn't. It doesn't. I don't see it as being much of a deterrent. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars to an NFL franchise. These teams make. I mean, the amount of money they make is isn't is gaudy. I don't think that that means much to it. That's a practice squad player, isn't it? What's a practice squad salary? I know the minimum in the league is higher than that, so it's not any player on your team. It's less than that. 8030550 is the phone number. All right, I think we covered this in uh, a good amount. If you want to hear more on the Miles Garrett situation, you had Sean McDermott speak on it. You can catch that on demand at WGR550.com. Howard and Jeremy spoke on it this morning. Um, you had Murph and Tasker as well, and also uh, Sal and Bulldog did the same. So you can check out all our good content at WGR550.com. We'll take a timeout here, and when we come back, we'll really dive into Bills and Dolphins. Josh Allen, Man, should should there be a lot of pressure on the Bills this week? Because I really think there should be. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Jody, Joe DiBiase here on WGR. That would have been a first, messing up my own name. Maybe actually it wouldn't have been a first. I've probably done that. Who knows? I'll be back with you tomorrow as well. Sports Talk Saturday. Myself and my brother, Lou DiBiase, will take you from 11 to 2. 
in place of Nate Geary, which I'm sure will confuse some people because we sound very much alike, so many of you might think it is Nate, but it's not. It'll be me. Sam Monson among our guests tomorrow, Pro Football Focus. It'll be at noon. We have a weird argument that I think might be brewing for tomorrow. We, we had a weird quarterback argument, I think, a few weeks ago, more towards the beginning of the season, um, where I was trying to argue, I think Gardner Minshew is better than Marcus Mariota. I'd rather have Mark. Uh, no, I said I'd rather have Gardner Minshew than Marcus Mariota. And my brother said the opposite, and he thought that was crazy. Well, looking at that now, they're both backups, but I would still much rather have Gardner Minshew. I kind of think Minshew's good. He might be. That's the thing. He might be. We know Mariota's not good. Holy cow. Tannehill has been a thousand times better. I thought that it would be just a, a, a light upgrade, just a small upgrade. But Tannehill has been way better for the Titans than Mariota. Like, he can actually throw a pass more than five yards. Now we might have another one brewing. I kind of think Kyle Allen's pretty good. I think he's, he's pretty good. I think he's, you know, maybe we're getting tricked by all these backup quarterbacks. But... I think the replacement level quarterback in the NFL right now is the hot, the best it's ever been. And I think Kyle Allen is part of an example of that. That guy was a nobody. Like, he had some college prominence in that he was the highest, he was the number one recruit out of high school one year. Uh, but he didn't have much of a college career. So that's part of the reason he, did he go undrafted? I think he went undrafted. He, if he wasn't, he was a seventh round pick. Came out of nowhere for Carolina. And like, he's, he's not bad. He's not bad. And my brother's a big Teddy Bridgewater guy. I'm not really. I think he's replacement level. He's fine. Kyle Allen's very similar to him, I think. All of the metrics, yards per attempt, net yards per attempt. In fact, if you look at more generic stats, Kyle Allen's better. He averages like 20 more yards per game. His touchdown interception ratio is better. Completion percentage is right around the same. I don't know. I think Carolina's going to move up from Cam Newton, so maybe we'll talk a little, uh, we'll have some quarterback debates tomorrow. We'll do plenty of Bills and Dolphins as well, as we'll continue to hear on tonight's show. Um, before I do get into that f- full-on, though, let's uh, let's do our interview of the day now. Sean McDermott, um, he'll be our entry into Bills and Dolphins. He was on with Howard and Jeremy this morning. Here is the Bills coach with Howard and Jeremy. Good morning. I am doing well this morning. I hope you are as well. Yeah, we're hanging. It's Friday, and I'm off the clock in about 43 minutes, Coach, so I'm, I'm feeling really good. Um, it's funny. I, 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 do you actually, amidst all the things you do during the week, do you actually sit down at any point and look at the schedule for the games that week and figure out who to root for? Do you not, I mean, fans do that. Do you ever do that? Uh, you know what? Probably not. Um, our focus is so much on what we're doing and, and uh, our process here. But, you know, when the games are on, when I do have a chance to watch the games, uh, I do root for the teams that, that help us. Uh, that's for sure. Sometimes we've heard stories before. I think like hockey sh- uh, stories for sure. Like sometimes a Sabres coach will have the standings posted. So every day the players see exactly what's going on with the standings. Do you do that in football? Not necessarily. Uh, I don't think it's something that we necessarily do. Um, our players are aware of it. The, these these uh, uh, guys these days, they have uh, great access to, to all the social media they want and all the um, resources they need at their fingertips. So they're well aware. Okay. Um, as we get further down the, down the road, um, you know, things kind of stack up and, and, and things kind of filter into, and fall into place. So I think uh, when we get that far, you know, sometimes there is a little bit of talk as far as that goes, but... 
um, most of the time, the focus remains on us. Sean, we're, we're, uh, before we get to questions about your team, did you see the game last night at all? Were you watching the Thursday night game? If not, have you seen the clip with Miles Garrett, and what was your reaction? Well, I did watch parts of the game. I did not watch that part live, but uh, I just saw a, a part of the replay of it, and um, my reaction is there's no place in the game for that. Uh, absolutely none. We talked about it this morning in the team meeting. Um, just to make sure we are on the same page. And um, when you take someone's well-being into your own hands, that's, that's, cross, that's crossing the line. So we like to believe we do things right, uh, that we're a class organization, and, and it is a physical, aggressive sport, but there's a line. Is that what you told your team, or was there a, hey, guys, keep cool message? Or, what, you know, since you brought it up with your team this morning, what did you tell them? What, basically what I just shared with you. Okay. Um, yeah, our PR director is, is uh, sitting next to me, and he was in the meeting, and uh, he would vouch for it. And, and uh, it wasn't exactly those words, but that's the general message was um, that we're an aggressive physical football team. Um, and within that, there's going to be some penalties. Uh, it's an aggressive sport, and, uh, and things get called once in a while. We understand that. I understand that. But there is a line that, that uh, as a class organization, you don't cross. A couple guys showed up on your injury report from yesterday. Uh, Dawson Knox didn't practice. Jerry Hughes was limited. Any concerns with either or both towards Sunday's game at this point? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll know a little bit more later today uh, once we go through practice and see how both of those uh, how, how both of those guys do. Earlier this week, when Josh met with the media on Wednesday, he had mentioned that coach told the team, "We want you guys. You know, we should be playing fearless." What did you mean by that? What was that message meant to uh, to to uh, what were you trying to get across in that message to your entire team? Well, just, uh, you know, really all of us together, coaches and players, hey, let's, let's you know, do what we've got to do, do it how we normally do it, and uh, be decisive. Let's not get into uh, playing hesitant. When you play this game, because it is a, an aggressive game, it's, it's a contact sport, uh, if you hesitate, you lose in, in, in most situations. So I want our team playing fast, playing physical, and playing aggressive uh, with great decisiveness and, and um, clarity around what's expected on each play uh, and their roles in particular. Did you get a sense, whether it was coaches or players, Sean, as, as, as you go deeper and deeper into the season and the pressure builds with the importance of the game and the, the playoff race and all that, did you get a sense that maybe some pressure was preventing the, 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 was keeping the team from playing with that fearlessness? Uh, no, not necessarily. I just think it's the course of the season. You, you always have to make... Um, course adjustments as as the season runs its course and and um it it ebbs and flows and so when you're when you feel like your team is right on the right on the sweet spot you let it you let it go and when you feel like your team is just getting off to one side or the other you have to make continual adjustments throughout the course of a year one of the other popular topics this week is josh allen and the inability of the offense to be able to connect on the deep balls some of them have been there uh and and he has not been able to hit the target and you mentioned reps and keep working at it can you is there anything you could pinpoint to i know if you did you would have corrected the problem already but is there anything you can pinpoint or diagnose as to why there seems to be this inability to hit on those deep throws well, there's time on task as well. There's continuity, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with our receivers and, and our tight ends and backs, and and so guys need to practice in order to build reps, guys, um, and and uh, work together, and and so you're gonna. Those are when you look at it, they're not all high percentage throws. The further they get down the field, the lower the percentage is just naturally, and then 
uh, because of the distance traveled, right? And then within that, though, we do have to hit those, and, and I'm confident that we will hit those uh, when called upon, and, and uh, that gets back to the level of execution, whether it's short, intermediate, or long throws. With Josh, I probably should have brought this up when we were talking about the fearless comment. I know that was said to the team, but Josh also talked this week about that balance, Sean, the balance you try and establish between taking chances, being aggressive, but not being reckless. What, what is the message you and Brian Dable give to Josh about trying to do one and not necessarily do the other and how you walk the line? Yeah, it's bringing. It's about bringing uh, along a young player in Josh's case, and um, giving him clarity on if you really break it down from a standpoint of boulders, rocks, and pebbles. Like you know, a lot of young players need the boulders. They just need the boulders, and then go let them play. Um, so they have clear understanding of of the boulders, meaning the main points that they're going to see that week, um, and what we need them to accomplish that week. And and sometimes when uh, when you get that, you, you get decisiveness and you get uh, a style of play. And, and so um, within that, then there's a fine line of how much, you know, is too much. And as it relates to uh, for young players, how much can they can they uh, absorb and still out and go and go out there and be themselves. Right. So and that also speaks to your question about, um, you know, just going out there and just slinging it all over the all over the field. You you know that comes in time, that type of mentality. But that's also that's also built over the course of time through experience, through reps, through scars, um, and and that's you know that's true in life and it's true in sports as well. Re- regarding the metaphor, Sean, boulders, rocks, and pebbles, um, is there a boulder you could give an example of? I mean, is it too game plan specific? Is it about protecting the football? Is it about playing within yourself? When you talk about a main point, is that an overarching one for for a player himself, or is, or do they change game to game? Well, they, you know, I would say this, Jeremy, they're mostly the same, right? But then because of the opponent, those change based on some of what we expect the opponent to present to us and to Josh in this case, as we're talking about Josh. And, and so it's, it's really just, hey, who we are, what we expect from, from this player, whatever player it is, and then what he can, what we need to prepare him for as it relates to that week's opponent. And when you play a team a second time, I wonder about the, the gamesmanship and the strategy of this. Do you look at what they did and expect them to do the same things that they succeeded or they succeeded with? Or do you kind of, you know, I know it's a chess match. Does that team tend to not do those things because you're expecting them to do, to do those things? How, how different is the second matchup from the first in the given yeah, season? Yeah, great question, Jeremy. No, it's it's. Um, I would say you know, as long as I've been in the league, they all they all tend to be different, um, and it's based on the coaching staff. It's a people game, and and so based on the coaching staff and the players. So sometimes the same players weren't. Uh, were there as they were in the second in the first game, and sometimes they're not um, for us or for them, and so that drives some things, and it drives you know other variables come into play. And um, I would say, by and large, you try and say, hey, what worked and what didn't work, and you use that as an educator for you. Sean, a couple other things before we let you go. Stephen Hauschka uh, is having some issues with distance. He, he's not hitting him at the percentage he did say two years ago when he first got here. It was very reliable from fifty plus. Anything there that you've pinpointed, and, and does it affect your coaching strategy if you're concerned with the 50-plus kicks? Well, we've got to be aware of that. There's no doubt, um, and we are going into each game, you know, and how that how that's affected. We talk about that. We look at that pregame and um, and how it's affected many of the different variables with weather, uh, wind, so on and so forth. So, But overall, we remain confident in Steven, and, uh, and he just needs to continue to keep it simple and 
and uh, and do his job, his one eleventh as we call it here, and that's putting the ball through the uprights and kicking, you know, kicking the ball well off on the uh, on the kickoff uh, aspect or end of things as well. So um, he understands that, and, and we expect uh, him to re- hit the reset button and move forward here. The other thing I want to ask about. Is actually a defensive question. I don't want to ignore the defensive side of the ball. Um, the run defense has been an issue the last few games, and you gave up some chunk uh, runs to Nick Chubb. What have you and the coaches been working on this week at practice to try and rectify any issues there? Yeah, I'll go back, uh, Howard, uh, to um, the, the the response I had a couple minutes ago, just going back to, hey, what are the boulders, right? What are the things that we have to do in order to play good defense and to give our guys great clarity around what's expected? Uh, when you have clarity... Um, you play fast, you play decisive, you play aggressively, you get better fundamentals. And so uh, we tried to go back and double down on that messaging uh, with the defense this week and then double down within that on the fundamentals and, and go back and reteach the fundamentals, reteach the techniques that are necessary to execute the job. Well, good luck Sunday against Miami. And as always, thanks for giving us some time on the show. Okay, guys, good to be with you. Thanks again. There he is, Bills head coach Sean McDermott, ahead of Sunday's game with the Miami Dolphins. The pressure, how much is it there for is there for Sunday? We'll get through if you're hanging on hold, we'll get to you right after the break. I got some thoughts on it too. 803-0550 if you want to join in on the conversation at Sneaky Joe WGR on Twitter, by the way, or 55550 for your texts. The nightcap with Jody Biasi, hour number two here on WGR, right after the break. America The Nightcap. Hey man! USA baby! what America's all about, D. Right here, this is the USA. Oh, relax. Oh, I'm going to sit through Oh, you're going to throw with me? Little actor boy, you want to go to the Patriots? Get your bed. Get your bed and go. Okay? Because I'll throw down. I'll throw down any day of the week. Get your little man and drive out of my face, okay? Before I go America, all over your... Nobody can stop the USA. Yeah. But that's right. not... Yes. I am talking about yeah. freedom. About choice. America, I don't think you need to worry. Because if you want to beat China, you will. If you don't, that's fine. That, my friend, is your victory. Who do you play for? Play for the United States of America. On WGR Sports Radio 550. What's up? So how much pressure should really be on the Bills this week? To me, maybe more than any game this season. They're not playing well. The tone has been a lot different for the Bills this week. 99% of the calls we have gotten were, you know, complaining about the offensive coordinator and the offense in general, Josh Allen. We did an entire show on Tuesday, which I maybe got more calls on Tuesday than any show I've ever done. When... Will we know how good Josh Allen is? That's the kind of conversation we're having. It's a very similar conversation to one we've had many times. J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor. How many guys, that E.J. Manuel, that have come in and out the door where it's the same cycle? Hopefulness at the beginning. Anybody that has any doubt, you're a hater. Then you really start to see him play, struggles, You start to wonder, can he actually get better than this? Because he needs to get better than this, or else this is not okay. What's the next step? The next step is 
drastic failure. And that's when the calls for either a new quarterback or a regime change or a coaching change or a GM change happen. And the reason I think maybe there's more pressure, and almost, I shouldn't stop saying maybe, I think there's more pressure on them this week than the rest of the season is because this is kind of a swing game for the Bills. It can, I think, go in either direction. They come out and dominate Miami, which I might still want to predict they do. I don't necessarily think they're good at all on offense right now. In fact, I think they're a good team, but they're not a great team. I think there's a lot of holes on this team that we're not really thinking about a lot right now. Pass rush, for instance. Ed Oliver has struggled in general, but he's not the pass rushing option you thought he might have provided. So they have not really supplied that interior rush that Kyle Williams had last year. I guess Jordan Phillips maybe has given them that. But Jerry Hughes isn't having the season that he had last year. Trent Murphy has eight quarterback pressures all season. One sack, eight quarterback pressures. Holy cow, that is nothing. And he plays. Like he plays a significant amount. He doesn't play every snap. But when Shaq Lawson's been your most consistent pass rusher this year on the edge, that's a problem. So there's there's some issues on this team. All that being said, they should destroy Miami on Sunday. They are way more talented. And I know they've won two in a row, but they should. So if that happens, if the Bills come out, this could very easily happen. They put up 30 points on the Dolphins. Josh Allen is a really good game. I'm not going to say he gets the 300 yards because no one gets the 300 yards here. But let's say he gets the 250, throws for two touchdowns, maybe he throws a rushing touchdown in there. Devin Singletary looks really good, probably in seven t- uh, touches because they don't want to give him the ball. John Brown gets his eight catches for 60 yards, and they put up some touchdowns. Maybe they get a defensive touchdown. They win 31 to, I don't know, 10. Like a good, comfortable, controlled victory. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this last week kind of goes away. Because guess what? Now you're 7-3. and three. Now you've got Denver coming into town. And they, they stink. I know they beat Cleveland, but Brandon Allen, a quarterback. I'm not respecting that right now. Still haven't heard of the guy until three weeks ago. So what happens? You win comfortably. You stop thinking about Dable maybe as much. You start thinking more about the standings and how nobody's going to catch you. And then maybe it turns to, all right, do we have a problem here to maybe, how good are they really? We're back to that. Because that was most of the year. How good really are they? Rather than right now, which is, are they actually good? Because that's really what this week has been. Are the Bills actually good? You beat Miami by 20 points or so, and you're back to how good are you? How good is the quarterback? Maybe can we win a playoff game? Who do we want to play in the playoffs? All that starts to come back up. But if you lose to Miami, it is... How did Bulldog put it earlier in the afternoon show? It's mayhem in here. It really is. The heat gets turned way up. The coordinator will be talked about. The coach will be talked about. The GM will be talked about. And you know the quarterback will be talked about. Multiple, I can count on one hand, more than one hand, the amount of calls we've gotten about Matt Barkley in the last week and a half. What happens then? Do people start calling for Barkley? If you lose to Miami, I'm not sure that's not justified. No matter how it happens. If you drop to 6-4 and against this team, and maybe it is alarming that they're only a a 5.5 point favorite. Because they could lose this game. I'm not really set up to believe they could lose this game, but they could. 
Fitzpatrick has those nights, has those games. Hell, the the Bills were a great Tredavis White play away from maybe losing to Miami at home a couple weeks ago. And then they'd be riding a three-game win streak. It's very strange to say, because that is one of the most depleted teams I've ever seen in terms of talent. What does it sound like? What does it feel like? If they're 6-4 and four going to play Denver, how could you have any confidence they're going to beat Denver? I just said I don't think Denver's good. I don't know who Brandon Allen is really. Maybe it's Drew Locke by that point. How could you have any confidence they could beat anybody? All these games they should win suddenly become games you just hope they win if you don't beat the Dolphins. And then all the math changes too. When we're talking about the playoffs, it's not even just big in feeling and you know fan reaction. It, it, there's pressure in that respect. But mathematically, there is pressure too. Because if you don't beat Miami... Suddenly, you've got to win a game that maybe you shouldn't have, like we weren't talking about, you, you, you should win that game. Like there's still a couple games left where it's like the Bills should win that game. Miami, Denver, the Jets. That's three. That gets you to nine. Per New York Times playoff machine, nine wins gets them to 52% chance to make the playoffs if they finished nine and seven. 52%. And actually, that was before Pittsburgh lost yesterday to Cleveland, so I bet you that number is even higher. In fact, I would know that number's higher. Um, there's no way it's not higher. I don't know how much higher. And then, you get to 10, it's like a 98% chance to make the playoffs. Find one of those other games that, that you can win. Pittsburgh, who's not that great. We saw it last night. New England, how oh, that seems like a prayer. Baltimore, Dallas. Find me one win in there, and I'm unlocked to make the playoffs. You don't win those games? All right, as long as I win the ones I should, I'm in. But if you lose to Miami, suddenly, you have to beat Pittsburgh. You will have to beat Pittsburgh. And they don't look all that great, but Pittsburgh kind of reminds me of a version of the Bills right now. Cleveland's maybe beat the same team two weeks in a row. The, Bra- the Steelers and the Bills, the Bills should be better than the Steelers. They should be. They have more talent on offense. Their quarterback, eh, do they have more talent on offense? Maybe I should walk that back. Because the quarterback should be better. That's really what I mean. Allen was the seventh overall pick. Mason Rudolph was a third round pick. I should get way better quarterback play, given what they gave up to get Allen. And that hasn't really happened yet this year. Allen's been better than Rudolph, but it hasn't been leaps and bounds better. And then the reason I wanted to walk that back is because James Conner is a really good running back, I think. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is really good. Maybe it's close. Vance McDonald's a good tight end. Maybe it's close to the Bills. Kind of B guys, like B-plus players. John Brown to Juju Smith-Schuster. James Conner to Devin Singletary. Um, Vance McDonald to Dawson Knox, whoever you want there. Tyler Croft. But suddenly, you have to win that game on the road against that team that's kind of similar to you. And you don't want to be in that spot. Given the control they had over this race. Like, it, a month ago, I'm sure I've said several times, they're going to make the playoffs. It looked like a near lock with their schedule and, in a way, how they've been playing too on the defensive side of the football. The offense playing just good enough. But you lose to Cleveland, and here's here's a team in Miami that might be a little bit dangerous right now. That changes everything if you don't win that game. Now, there are many reasons 
to think, hey, this game could be dangerous. Fitzpatrick seems to be the, the first uh, the first thing everybody thinks about. But when you really do boil it down and you match these two, two teams up against each other, the Bills should absolutely win this game. Even if they're not producing an offense, they should win this game. The one thing the Bills have not done well on the defensive side of the football is stop the run. Miami's the worst team in football by a lot at running the football. And Mark Walton, who's not that much to write home about anyway, who was their starting running back, he's suspended. And you've got Kalen Balaj, who's not nothing special, not much in the interior offensive line. I don't know how they run the football in the Bills. I don't know how they do it. Preston Williams, also a undrafted rookie wide receiver. That's right, an undrafted rookie wide receiver who gave Levi Wallace fits in the game on, what was it, November 17th. No, that's not right. That's the game coming up. The game on um, October 20th in Buffalo. Preston Williams was giving Levi Wallace fits. A big physical receiver with some good athleticism. The Bills actually had to change that up. They had to put Trey White on Preston Williams more often. And it worked. Preston Williams, out for the season. He's no longer a factor. So that's one weapon that was a big reason the Bills got themselves in a hole against Miami that's not on the field. Mark Walton, who actually was okay running the football against the Bills, not on the field, suspended. So two key factors in why the Bills were struggling against Miami a month ago will not play against them on Sunday. That's another reason that the Bills should really dominate this football game. And then, like, man, you, you, you're... I don't want to say the offense is due, but aren't they due? I cannot believe Josh Allen will go this entire season without connecting on a bomb. I can't believe that will happen. He's 0 for 16. And I'm convinced he's not going to ever be an efficient deep ball passer. He'll connect on some crazy passes, I'm sure, in his career. Some 80-yard bombs. Just miracle plays. Hero ball plays. He'll connect on some. But efficiently, I don't think so. That doesn't mean he'll never do it. 0 for 16. Whole, I mean, last year he hit on some. And maybe the Bills are... Maybe they got something dialed up to really hit on that this week. Maybe that's some play action. Because really, play action should be how you're setting up these deep balls. And the Bills have not been running a whole lot of play action. I think about Kirk Cousins, actually, for this. Minnesota has run more play action than any team in football this season. And that's with a quarterback, by the way, who's one of the least athletic quarterbacks in football, Kirk Cousins. And guess who is connecting on the vertical passes all year? Cousins. In fact, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in football for the last month. They run more play action than anybody. And in a way, play action is kind of, what do I want here? It's not, if you have a great quarterback, if you have an elite quarterback, he doesn't need play action. And I think you still want to believe that Josh Allen doesn't need play action to connect on some of these routes. But I think you're at a point where he might, he might need it. And you haven't been doing it, so let's give that a try. You got to keep trying stuff. Because this offense is getting stale. It does the same thing every week. They will have two or three really nice drives. They'll move the football and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's that, that, there it is. There's that offense that we all want. Just do that more often. But then they'll disappear for a quarters at a time. It's the same thing. The only thing that is consistent about this offense is John Brown running back to the football. That is it. 
I can't even really say Josh Allen's running ability is consistent about this team because they're not really having him do it as much as I'd like. As, lo- as much as I think a lot of people would hope. They don't run it enough for that to be a consistent option in their offense. You know, Baltimore's doing it with Lamar Jackson. I don't need them to be running as much as Baltimore is with Lamar Jackson. But, come on. This guy, if everything goes well, is going to be Cam Newton. He will never be a naturally efficient, accurate passer. I, I truly believe that. That Josh Allen will never get over, completely get over the inaccuracy problem he has. Will he get, can he get better at it? Of course. But he's never going to be this highly efficient Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers type quarterback where he just puts the ball wherever he wants to. He can know where he wants to put the ball, but he's not going to do it 10 times out of 10 like some of these r- truly elite quarterbacks in football. It's never going to happen. So you have to find a way to deal with that inconsistency. And, you know, I don't like them taking a lot of things from Carolina because they did some of those things. Carolina was in was so slow at the wide receiver position for so long between Calvin Benjamin and Devin Funchess and, honestly, a tight end, Greg Olson, who's not even that fast of a tight end, was always up at the top in their target list. They had big physical receivers. That's who they went to. Running back, even the same thing. Jonathan Stewart, not all that fast. D'Angelo Williams, towards the end of his career, not the fastest guy in the world. Mike Tolbert. I don't even have to say it, do I? We all know he wasn't fast. And the Bills brought that along with them. Didn't like that. Didn't like that at all. And there have been some other aspects that they brought over from Carolina that I didn't like. Like special teams and needing to have a returner and so, some other stuff. But one thing I wouldn't be offended and if they brought over was how the Panthers treated Cam Newton. I remember reading a story right when Cam Newton came into the league, and it was that lockout shortened year. It, it wasn't though the season wasn't shortened, but the off season was shortened. So I think it was a short training camp. Um, maybe they got a full preseason, and I don't remember. But it was a short off season, and you couldn't have contact with players. And here was Cam Newton coming into the league, first year, didn't have enough time to run the playbook or to, to completely learn the playbook to the level he would have needed to know it. And I remember reading a story. I wish I remember who wrote it. I think it was a Sports Illustrated story. Ron Rivera, the Panthers coach, went to Auburn, and he asked their coaching staff, what was he good at running? Because we need some plays for him to run here. We're gonna, we want to implement part of what he knows into the offense because he doesn't have time to learn everything that we want him to learn. And Auburn, um, was that Gus Mel- Melzon at the time, whoever their coach was, Supplied Ron Rivera with a with a a part of their playbook or a bunch of plays that Cam Newton knew how to run and was good at, and a lot of it was you know him running, and him using his mobility. And the Panthers said, "All right, screw it, we're gonna do it. We're not gonna make him into a pocket passer. We're not gonna make him into a typical NFL quarterback. We're gonna let him be Cam Newton." And it worked. Now, is he the greatest quarterback in the league? No. In fact, he might be shot at this point. Who knows if he'll ever get healthy again. In fact, he proved that when he can't run, he's not that good a quarterback, Cam Newton. He's pretty inaccurate. But what made Cam Newton a franchise quarterback for almost a decade? He was a good enough passer. He was a good enough passer. And he was a great runner. A truly special runner. And I do believe, I truly believe Josh Allen has similar running ability to Cam Newton. It's not all the way there. Cam's a better athlete. Cam is faster. But he's a, he's a similar type runner. Allen is a special runner. 
That might be the only thing that is special about him. They need to utilize that. And if that means he has a shortened career, like Cam Newton has, because he's taking more hits, well, so be it. Because I don't want to play scared with who my quarterback is. If that's who he is, play him like that. That's another part of this offense that can be consistent. I'd love to see them do that against Miami. Just come out and say, all right, we have Cam Newton 2.0. We're playing him like it. They do it in the red zone. He is unstoppable as a runner in the red zone. You want want to know why the Bills' offense is bottom five in almost everything in the league, but they're number one in red zone efficiency? Because that's when they decide to run with Josh Allen. That's why. It's the best thing they have going on offense. And the volume in which they use it goes way up when they get into the red zone. That's why they're number one there, and that's why they're bottom five at the rest of, in the rest of the field. And it's a change. It's not the typical quarterback. It's not even really what you drafted. I didn't even know he was a good runner when they drafted him. I thought he was just the guy with the big arm who was inaccurate. He was going to have to learn how to be accurate, and that was it. I truly, I, I watched some of his, a lot of his Wyoming tape, a lot of his Wyoming film. You could see that he was a good athlete, but not, not like we, we've seen, where he's making Kiko Alonso look like the guy shouldn't even be in football, or he's jumping over a linebacker, or he's diving for the end zone, like Superman style, like to reach for the pylon. He's really capable of that, and I want to see the Bills use it, and I want to see them do it, because... Like I said, I think that's the most consistent part of their offense when they decide to use it. And the rest of this thing is not working. If you want to come to me and say, hey, in the offseason we're going to get this number one wide receiver and that's going to change things, that's going to allow us to not have to run Josh Allen as much, well, that's okay, fine. Because you're presenting me an alternative, something else to try, something else that you could sell to me improving this offense. Right now, where else does the improvement on offense come from? Where does it come from? Everyone wants to talk about Brian Dable running more screen passes or Brian Dable and the Bills opening up the vertical pass game. Allen can't hit it anyway. So what's the point? Like all these things. Let's see Duke Williams play more. How much is any of that really going to matter? I believe the only thing that can get this offense to be competent the rest of the season is utilizing Allen's legs. That's it. I think the rest of it is just ideas that they've tried. I think they're trying stuff. They've tried screen passes. It didn't work. People want to forget. They ran a screenplay on their final drive against Cleveland, and it almost killed them. I don't remember when the ball got tipped at the line, I think, and Singletary tried to catch it five yards behind the line of scrimmage. He would have been down in bounds, and the clock would have been running five yards back. Might have killed them. So they, they, they've tried some screen passes. They're, they're middle of the pack. When it comes to screen passes attempt, percentage of their plays. I think they're 18th in the league. I saw it earlier. I, I don't have it in front of me. But I think they were like between 15th and 20th. I think they were 18th. So they're not running it a lot. But they're also, you know, they're not never doing it. I want to see the Bills treat Josh Allen like he's Cam Newton. That's the end of the story for me. That's what, that's what I want to see. 803-0550 is the phone number. This Bills offense... Got any ideas? What do you think? Greg Cosell, we'll hear a little bit from him. He's always good. He's, he knows more about this kind of stuff than I do. So we'll hear from him. He was on with One Bills Live earlier today, as we typically do on Fridays. And uh, we'll take your calls at 803-0550. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR.
Welcome back to the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Got about a half hour left. I'll be on with Sports Talk Saturday. I'll be on Sports Talk Saturday tomorrow with my brother Lou DiBiase. So tune in at 11. We're going to hear from Greg Cosell in just a little bit here. But let me know what you think. Bills, Dolphins on Sunday. How much pressure should really be on the Bills in this game? Because I think all of it should be on them. Let me know what you think. Let's start off with uh, Buzz. Buzz, you're on the Nightcap. What's up, man? Joe, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Um, first, I want to start out by saying I agree with pretty much with everything you're saying about Josh Allen, especially his running ability. Mm-hmm. And I actually, the only thing I'll disagree with, and just mildly, and uh, I think Josh Allen's actually faster than Cam Newton. Uh, I, he might even be a better athlete than Cam, Cam Newton, but they are very similar. And mm-hmm. You're right about him in the red zone. I mean, he's just devastating in the red zone. Um, I'm sure he's been told to hang on to the football a little better. And yeah, eleven fumbles has got to change for sure. They're actually, by the way, they're four. I know this is hard to just go straight to uh, or to only look at forty times for this, but their forty times are almost exactly the same. So maybe they're. I would say they're at least comparable, depending on uh, who might be a little faster. Yeah, I mean, it, bottom line is tremendous athletes, both right. of them. You know, so um, it, yeah, if he can hang on to the ball, I say run him. And like you mentioned about Cam Newton, about how his career might have been shortened by all the abuse he takes. Like you said, so be it, man. Run the ball. He's a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to add that I really, you know, I've been known to gamble a little bit, put a little money down on a little action. And this is, I think this is uh, about a 20-unit a play. This is a, my max play for a single game. Uh, the Bills this week minus five and a half. I think, I think they're going to steamroll them. I really do, and that's not being a homer. I just think it's a it's a. Tr- I think the the line is way off. The line's way off. Miami yeah. two in a row, big deal. Who cares? We did have uh, Evan Abrams from the Action Network on earlier today, and he said most of the money is going on the Bills on that. I think he said sixty percent of the money is going on the Bills right now. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm I'm putting my money on it. So we'll we'll see what happens. You never know with turnovers and stuff in one game. But anyway, right. I do have the Bills over six and a half wins this year for two hundred bucks. So I mean, I you know I mean that was a that's an easy one. That's that was an easy. You need one more. We have. I also have UB over six wins. So last night's loss was a real kick in the grind. That was a tough loss. I mean, I checked and I think they were up like twenty to three, and then I woke up this morning and they lost or something like that. I don't know. They were up twenty-seven to six with nine minutes to go in the game, completely dominating, um, and then uh, uh, Kent State were twenty twenty-four yeah. points in the last eight minutes. It was incredible. But anyway, that sucked. But and I am a UB alum too, so that's a double whammy. But if I could give a quick shout out, there's an event happening sure. from today at Riverworks. Um, so I think a lot of people out there have seen Czech's bubble hockey. It's like foosball, but it's got a dome over it. Yep. Those machines are manufactured in Clarence, New York, by a company named Ice, and they came out in 1982. In 1982, I was 12 years old and I grew up playing hockey. So one of the first places they started distributing these things was in the, the ice rinks and the arenas and the bars, too. And I grew up either playing sports or in a bar with my dad, it seemed. So I played that game my whole life, and I actually owned one, too, for years. And uh, they're having the World Championships of Bubble Hockey at Riverworks next Friday. I believe it starts at 5 o'clock, and the best players in the world are going to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to be there, and I'm looking to win me some money. So if you want to come down, All right. there are still a few spots open. Um, but it should be a lot of fun, and uh, yeah. come down and say hi. All right, Buzz, thanks for the call, man. That sounds like a cool event. Um, maybe I'll check it out. We'll see. Um, good point, though, on the on the line, too. I, I like that. I, five and a half is really low for this game. Like, I know the Bills haven't played well, and I know the Dolphins have won two in a row, but come on. They are literally, they're still tanking. They're still tanking. I bet their owner is furious that they've won two games in a row. They're going to miss out on the number one pick. 
They'll have to lose to Cincinnati. That's coming up. And I'm not sure they're going to do it. If I was that owner, I'd put putting Josh Rosen right back in. But maybe that'd be too blatant. I don't know. So yeah, the, I agree with the five and a half uh, being a way too low of a line for this game. All right, let's get to our uh, interview of the day now with Greg Cosell. He was on with One Bills Live per usual on Friday. One of my favorite guests that we have on the station, uh, especially regularly. Here is Greg Cosell with the guys earlier today. That means our regular guest is standing by. He is executive producer, analyst of NFL Matchup on ESPN. You can catch that tomorrow at 7 a.m. on ESPN2. You can catch it Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. on ESPN. He is senior producer of NFL Films. Happy to have Greg Cosell on the line with us. Happy to talk about something other than that fight last night, Greg. It's been been kind of a disturbing first hour for us. I'm sure you're ready to move on and talk about some of these matchups, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that stuff, I, I never know what to say about things like that. I'm glad that uh, it just got adjudicated pretty quickly, and we'll go from there. Let's talk some football. Let's guys. talk some Bills <laughs> Dolphins. Uh, um, I have a feeling, I told Steve this, uh, well, I'm, I want to get your take on this. I don't see the Miami Dolphins, they've won two in a row, I get that. I don't see them as that much different a team than the one that uh, came up here a month ago, though. And In fact, they may have less uh, options offensively than they had here a month ago. What do you think? Possible, but I, you know, I tell you what, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, obviously, and you guys are real familiar with Ryan Fitzpatrick because he played there for a couple of years and actually played well. But I am, I admire this guy so much. You know, people lose sight of the number of games he's started in this league. I think he started over 130 games coming out of Harvard. There's, there's just a, a way he plays. He fights. He, he throws a pretty good ball. He can still move very well, even in his advancing years by NFL standards for a quarterback. Sure, can he throw a bad pick here and there? Absolutely, which is why at times he's been the starter and then not been the starter. But there's a, a toughness, a resilience to his game. He, you know, just as someone who loves football, I think he's kind of fun to watch. What's he done for the Dolphins' offense? Has it gotten better? What are they able to do because he's in there at quarterback? You know... The best way I'd answer that, Steve, and, and you having been an offensive player, and I think he's stabilized what they do. In other words, the plays that are there to be made, and there's always plays like that in every game where uh, the design of the pass concept creates the throw, and he makes those throws uh, for the most part. And then he gives you the element of second reaction ability, improvisational ability, both to move and throw and to move and run. So what he does is he, when he's at his best, he executes your offense. What about Kalen uh, Balash, who now is the number one running back yeah. down there? What do you, I, I don't know what to make of him. I, I, certainly it's, a, it's, it's not the same as when they had uh, the running backs they had earlier this year, including Walton, who's now on suspension. No. You know, Balash is a fascinating guy. I watched him at, at Arizona State, and I kept going back and forth in my own mind as to what he was. Murph, because he's a big man with very good straight line speed. But I don't think he has uh, a whole lot of agility. There are times, and again, not knowing what's in his head, but there are times watching a man that size run inside, I don't think he runs with any kind of consistent physical toughness. So, you know, if he can hit a gap, he can go. I know last year he had a 75-yard run, and boy, he looked good doing that. But I, I don't think at this point, despite his size, he shows the traits of a sustaining back, which is what you would want a 230-pound back to be. How big a role did the turnovers last week against the Colts play in their ability to score points? Oh, a, a big role. 
Uh, and and uh, I think that that was critical in their ability to win the game. But you know what, Steve? There's one thing I'd say watching the um, the Dolphins over the last couple of weeks, and, and all credit to me goes to their head coach and their coaching staff. This team plays pretty hard, uh, and particularly on defense. And I know Brian Flores, that's his background, obviously. But they they don't have a lot of names we all recognize on defense, as you know. Uh, I remember when we talked about them the first time these two teams played. I was totally honest with you and said, hey, a lot of a lot of these players I had to look up. Uh, and, and believe me, I do a ton of college work. I watch 250, 300 college players a year coming into the NFL draft. And some of these guys on the Dolphins I didn't even know. But this team is playing hard. They play with some some physical toughness. So you have to give a ton of credit to that staff. Greg Cosell, our guest executive producer, analyst of NFL Matchup on ESPN. We're talking about the Bills matchup with the Dolphins. I want to ask you a couple of Bills questions here, Greg. I heard uh, Sean McDermott talk about uh, Buffalo's top receiver, uh, John Brown, uh, earlier this week. Brown with 47 catches, two touchdowns, 680 yards. And he mentioned how Brown has sort of evolved into a more complete receiver than he was when he came into the league with Arizona a couple of years ago. That's why he was attractive to the Bills in the free agent market. Do you see that as well? What do you see from John Brown? Absolutely. I think John Brown does a much better job now running intermediate routes. I think he has a much better feel for how to set up corners when he runs those kinds of routes, how to use his body, how to use his, his feet to, to, as indicators. And Steve knows exactly what I'm talking about. At the top of your stem, you want to give your quarterback a sense of, of when to throw the ball because a lot of throws are, are timing throws and spot throws, and you need to give your quarterback an indicator. Uh, so I think he's he's greatly improved in that area, and he can still run. So I think you're looking at a receiver that's definitely improved during the course of this season. What's a, a, something that you would look for, and, and if you could generalize, what's something the Bills could do better that would have an exponential effect on their ability to score points? Is there a magic elixir or just one thing, aspect of their offense that could change, that could be um, you know a bigger help than you would maybe think at first glance? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, when I, when I finished watching the tape this week, I kind of felt that, that Allen threw the ball pretty well this week. You know, he always misses a couple. I mean, he missed that fourth down. It may have been their first possession or second possession, a throw you can't miss. And the, the one issue that I think really stands out with Josh Allen, and and maybe this it certainly impacts their ability to put up more points, is they don't hit any deep balls. Um, I don't know the numbers, and maybe you guys do because you're – specific to Buffalo, obviously, but I would bet that Josh's deep ball throwing, you know, I'm talking about down the field, not intermediate routes, right. but deep ball throws are that his his numbers are bad. And, and he's missed guys this year with overthrows that have been open. And obviously, if you can hit some of those plays, you increase your ability to score points. Some of those plays would have been touchdowns. And I think uh, this is a team that's trying to orchestrate big play opportunities, which I think Brian Dabble does uh, Dable does pretty well, and uh, on first down in particular with with pass game concepts that are intermediate and vertical based. And when Josh tries to go over the top, he doesn't hit those. He hits the intermediate ones pretty well, but he doesn't hit the ones over the top. Hey, Greg, uh, Sean McDermott apparently sat his team down Wednesday, and they came to work this week and talked about. Uh, you know, playing a little bit freer, playing uh, without fear. And I wondered uh, your thoughts. Do you see Josh Allen playing with fear, uh, maybe afraid to put it in harm's way, the ball? And, and because he has cut down on turnovers, but maybe not, as you said, he's not hitting the deep passes, and maybe there's more. He's just not uh, trying to fit the ball in tight spaces because he doesn't want to turn it, turn um, it over. What do you think? 
I don't know. Uh, you know, again, it's, that's a fine line. Look, Sean McDermott knows his team way better than I do, so I can't speak to that specifically. But I will tell you this. There's a very fine line on a team like this that's not likely to put up 35 points on a weekly basis, obviously, between not turning it over and then being free and turning it loose. Because the last thing you want is to start turning the ball over uh, and, and then you really lose any opportunity to win. Uh, there with Josh Allen every day. Josh is a big arm kid. I thought this week, believe it or not, I thought he made he made more throws with better balance and a firmer base. And I kind of like the way he threw the ball this week. Um, and I'm hoping that carries forward. Uh, and I think if that carries forward, he's less likely to miss some of those routine throws that he seems to miss a few of every single week. But uh, the la- the other thing you don't want with him, it's easy to say, let's be free and go out and just kind of play. But he also has a couple of throws every game, as you guys know, where he leaves the pocket and then tries to make a play. Now, is he capable of doing that? Yes, he is. But there's a balance between doing that and then throwing an interception. On the other side of the ball, the Bills' defense in this last month has started to show some signs of struggling to stop the run. Yes. Do you see anything generally that you can talk about uh, that gives us any idea as to why that has happened all of a sudden? Well, you know, I think one area is, is and, and we've noticed this, and I'm sure you guys have noticed this as well, I think you've seen Ed Oliver, his snap counts have really decreased over the last couple of weeks, and he's struggled all season long in the run game. And he's a three technique, and that's a critical position to defend the run. So they, they've cut down on his snaps. I think they've recognized that he struggled a bit as a rookie. And uh, I'm not sure how they see him going forward. But now they've they've uh, limited his snaps. Uh, they've signed Corey uh, Legit. So they're looking for other players. They're trying to get better against the run with, with talent. Because I think defensively, they, they pretty much play a certain way defensively, and I don't think that'll change dramatically, but they need some their players to probably produce more and play better. We're on the line with Greg Cosell. He is senior producer, NFL Films, executive uh, producer, analyst of NFL Matchup coming up this weekend on ESPN. Let me move it around the league a little bit, Greg. And we started out talking about the Browns and the fight last night, a fight that overshadowed the fact, I think, and continues to overshadow the fact that the Browns are playing better. They've won two in a row. They've inserted themselves at least into the playoff conversation. What's gone well for them the last couple of weeks? Well, I think their defense has played pretty well. I mean, you look at last night, you look at the game against uh, you guys on on Sunday. Uh, I think their defense has kept games together a little more. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to look through the tape, obviously, from last night yet. But I think that Baker Mayfield against the Bills threw the ball pretty well. They're still struggling to score a bit because they've struggled with situational football third down in red zone against uh, the Bills. The red zone was clearly the problem. Uh, but I think Mayfield has, has, has been throwing the ball pretty well. Uh, Nick Chubb has sort of become a, a feature. Um, like I said, I didn't really see what they did last night, so I don't know the answer to this. But against you guys, they really started to play Chubb and Hunt together a lot of snaps, particularly in the second half. Um so I don't like I said, I don't know what they did last night, but that presents an interesting scenario for defenses in particular as, as to how they want to handle that. So I think there's a lot of positive things as they go forward, uh, as long as their defense can keep playing well. But obviously they lose a great player in Garrett. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And one, and I want to get you back to the Bills a little bit and the way teams attack the Bills. You mentioned the, the Browns did it with, uh, with two running backs. The Eagles started it, I think, about a month ago. What is it about the two running backs lined up in the shotgun with the quarterback that makes it difficult for the Bills to defend. Do you see any trend there developing? Um, 
You know, I wouldn't. It's funny you say that because I don't think the Bills had a struggle to defend that. I was just thinking more in terms of the Browns. I mean, the Bills did not have a bad defensive performance. Uh, look, that final drive, that the, the Landry play was just a great individual play. It was a little fluky. It was a great individual play. But I don't think the Bills' defense played poorly um, against the Browns. There were a couple of running plays, obviously, that I'm sure they'd like to have back by Chubb, where he gained some big yards. But they, they kept him out of the end zone for the most part. Um, so, you know, I, I don't view that as a bad performance by the Bills' defense. To me, the Bills need to score more points. Mm-hmm. It's very tough to win games on a weekly basis, 13-10 or 17-13. That's just a hard way to play and to, to really be a, a really good team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was going to take you around the league a little bit more, too. One of the most intriguing matchups this week is going to be Baltimore Ravens and the Houston Texans. Uh, Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, those are two guys that have really carried their offenses. And I think, do you think this is going to be the kind of shootout that people anticipated being? Uh, last time these two guys met was in college, and it was a fun game to watch. Will we get a repeat of that? Will we, get, will we get a repeat of that? Um, well, you know, it's funny. I've been giving a lot of thought to this Ravens offense, and to me they're really fascinating because – it's a low-risk offense, but an incredibly hard-to-defend offense, which normally those two things don't go together. Um, and I'll say this. They play a lot out of multiple tight end sets, whether it's two tight ends and three tight ends. And what most teams do in response to that is they line up with their base defense, which means they have more bigger, slower people on the field than smaller, faster people. And I just keep thinking maybe it's better – and coaches know more than I do, Steve, but maybe it's better to defend the concepts and the speed rather than the personnel. So even if they line up with two or three tight ends, maybe it makes more sense to put smaller, faster people on the field because that gives you a better chance to defend the perimeter, which is where they do a lot of their damage with Jackson. Greg Cosell will finish up his conversation with Murph and Tasker right after the break here on WGR. Last call on the nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Let's wrap up our conversation with Greg Cosell on One Bills Live earlier today. Hey, Greg, one of the more interesting games this weekend features a couple of recent Super Bowl winners, the Patriots and Eagles, playing uh, yes. late Sunday afternoon. That's got to be one of your featured games, I would think, on Matchup Show this week, right? It is. We did a full segment on that game and a full segment on the Texans-Ravens game. And a couple of the things I thought about with that game as well was the way Bill Belichick approaches different offenses. And I think he'll look at the Eagles offense and think there's two players in in given situations. Of course, nothing's on every play, but in given situations that he has to be concerned about. Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders as a receiver at the back. And I think you'll see him do multiple things with Ertz. I think he'll double him at times. I think he'll put J.C. Jackson, the the big corner on him at times, man-to-man, as he did with Jackson versus Travis Kelsey a year ago in the AFC Championship game. And I think with Sanders, when he's offset in the backfield, which is where he normally lines up, I think you'll see him uh, do some things, maybe the bullseye technique, where he takes the outside edge rusher and just has him run at Sanders just to prevent him from getting cleanly into routes. So I think 
my bottom line point is I think what Bill will do is look at those two players, Ertz and Sanders, as the players he needs to take away in those critical situations. One thing I wanted to ask you about while we still have a minute here, um, for a scouting report, a few years ago we lo- a quarterback was playing in the league who hasn't played in three years, and he's going to get a big workout in Atlanta this weekend. What do you remember about the way Colin Kaepernick played for the 49ers at the end before he – uh, before he uh, walked off of his con, opted out of that contract, and what do you think they're going to find in him in this workout in Atlanta? I don't know if you can answer that question, but yeah, what do you expect? What kind of quarterback was he, and what do you expect? I think as he played more and teams became better equipped to handle some of the the run game elements, and now those elements have expanded. So some might say, hey, if he played now, there'd be more expansive run game elements. But back then, um, teams started to get a much better feel for the zone read concept. And, and that wasn't as effective. And I think some of his limitations as a passer started to show up. Um, he's, he throws the ball with great velocity, not a lot of touch. Um, he didn't see things particularly well, and he was not overly accurate. Um, he was not a quarterback that was a turn it loose guy, so the numbers always look good. So he wouldn't throw a lot of picks because he didn't really turn it loose. He'd run instead. And sometimes he'd make great runs, and other times he wouldn't. Uh, but... I, I certainly don't know where he is right now. I know he's he's 32 years old, so it's very hard to know exactly where he is. But as a passer, he had some limitations, but he was a straight-line explosive athlete. Think somebody will sign him, Greg? I do, as a matter of fact. I don't know who, but I think somebody will. Okay. Hey, Greg, thanks for this. Good to talk with you. We'll talk again next Friday. All right, guys, appreciate it. Thanks. There he is, Greg Cosell. I like that at the end. I hope Colin Kaepernick signs somewhere, too. I legitimately think he's still a good quarterback. I mean, it's hard to know that outright without seeing him throwing a pass in three years. But he hasn't taken a he hasn't taken a beating like Cam Newton is like running out of juice. He's just hurt all the time. You know that's not happening with Kaepernick. So that workout's tomorrow. We'll see if anything happens. Thanks everybody for listening. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Me and my brother Lou DiBiase will be hosting Sports Talk Saturday, beginning tomorrow morning at eleven o'clock. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus, among our guests at noon. So until then, everybody have a good night and I will talk to you tomorrow. This has been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.